So if you were here last week, um, we started this Hebrews series, a series in the book of Hebrews. Um, I don't need that. I'm going to leave that there. Um, we started this series in the book of Hebrews called Jesus Is. And the reason we named this series Jesus Is is because Hebrews uh, really kind of just walks us through uh, kind of topic after topic of who Jesus is for us. Now, uh, this book was written primarily to guess who? Hebrews, Jewish people, right? Um, anybody in here, this is a serious question, anybody in here of Jewish heritage? I, I'm just curious. Sometimes there is. No? Okay. Um, so we're all Gentiles, right? <laughs> that's, that's who we are. Um, this book was written to Hebrew Christians or those who had in some way maybe professed Christ or were at least interested in professing Christ in the first century when this book was written, the earliest church, right? All the first Christians were Jews, Right in the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, uh, the gospel goes to thousands of people. These are all Jewish people. And so then, over the course of the next couple decades, right, Jews were coming to Jesus, and then they were being spread out all over the world. And so this letter was written to them. It's really a sermon, um, which, by the way, a lot of scholars believe that uh, sermons should all be 45 minutes long because that's how long it takes to read Hebrew. So y'all sit down for 45 minutes here. I'm just kidding. Um, but some people do believe that. Anyway, this is a sermon written to the Jews to say, this is who Jesus is. And really the, the kind of the central theme, the main idea of this entire book is Jesus is greater than fill in the blank. We could have named the series Jesus is Greater. Jesus is greater than fill in the blank. And so last week we just kind of opened up this, this series with the very first chapter, which is, I'm going I'm to read it real quick, um, that one of the most beautiful little passages about Christ in the entire Bible, it says this, In the past God spoke to our forefathers, through the prophets at many times and in various ways, but in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. That is Jesus. So he kind of opens up Hebrews just going, Jesus is God. That's where we started last week. Jesus is God. Um, so the whole idea of the first two chapters of Hebrews was listen to him. If he's God, he deserves your attention and your life and your affection and your submission and your obedience. And that's what we're going to kind of go into today as he continues this discussion of who is Jesus greater than if he is Jesus, if he is God. Excuse me. Who is Jesus greater than if he is God? And the first answer that he gives in chapter 1 and 2 is the angels. Jesus is greater than the angels. And then as we get into chapter 3 today, he's going to say Jesus is greater than Moses. Now, none of us are Jewish. No, nobody raised their hands. But if you were a Jew in the first century and you were to see somebody write a letter to you and basically say, Jesus is greater than Moses, that is almost blasphemy, guys. Seriously. Like, I want us to kind of get in their shoes and understand that Moses is, to the Jewish people, the greatest leader that they could ever imagine. He led their people out of Egypt right? Led the people out of Egypt through the Red Sea. He was the one to whom God gave the Ten Commandments, right? And then led them to the brink of the promised land. Moses is, uh, the, and even synonymous with the law, when they talked about the law, they would often just say, Moses, have you read Moses? That was the law. So now he's going, Jesus is greater than that. And that's kind of the first six verses of chapter three. And then we're going to get to verse seven, and he's going to talk about entering into God's rest. That's kind of the key theme of what we're going to look at today of just entering into God's rest. What does that mean to rest in God, to be in his rest? 
And, and kind of the idea, the illustration that he's using, the author of Hebrews, which, by the way, we're not really sure who wrote Hebrews. Um, it's kind of one of the mysterious books in the Bible. But um, whoever wrote this, what his key illustration is, is the people of Israel, having been led out of Egypt by Moses, because of their disobedience, did not enter into the promised land. They did not enter into God's rest. And so the idea is this. If they, through their disobedience to Moses, didn't enter God's rest, and now we have one greater than Moses, if we don't obey him, what do we expect will happen to us? If they didn't get rest by not obeying Moses, and Jesus is greater than that, what should we expect? So here's what he says in in, in, uh, chapter 3, verse 7. He says, so as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the desert. There's the Israelites going going into the promised land, right? Where your fathers tested and tried me for 40 years, saw what I did. This is why I was angry with that generation. And I said, their hearts are always going astray. And they have not known my way. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. So the rest of this passage, um, all the way through chapter 4, verse 13, is him going to be kind of explaining what this rest is and what it looks like for us to enter into this rest or what it will look like if we do not enter into this rest. And he's going to answer for us five questions, okay? If you're taking notes, here's five questions. I'm going to give you my outline real fast. Um, five questions. Here's the first question. The first question is, um, what is this rest? What is this rest? The second question is, what keeps us from entering this rest? I'm going to keep going back over these. You don't have to write them all down right now. Number three, how do we enter this rest? Number four, when can we enter this rest? And number five, how do we remain in this rest? So what is it? How do we enter? What will keep us from entering? Um, When can we enter and how do we remain? So question number one. What is this rest? What is this rest? First thing is this. It is God's rest. This rest is God's rest. Here's what he says in chapter 4, verses 4 and 5. He says, For somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day in these words, And on the seventh day God rested from all his work. And again in the passage above, he says, They shall never enter my rest. Whose rest? God's rest. They shall never enter my rest. There is a rest which God enjoys. There is a rest which even from the beginning, it was a rest from his work in creation. And it's a rest that he calls us into. It's a rest uh, that is the recovery of what was lost in the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve enjoyed what? Perfect rest with God. Perfect relationship. Unbroken, unadulterated, perfect fellowship, communion, relationship with God. And yet when sin came through their disobedience, immediately what happened? Shame and fear and hiding. No more rest. Right? This was broken at the fall, and yet then God began this process of redemptive history that through Abraham's offspring and David's royal line, one would come, his name is Jesus, and that through Jesus, he would die on the cross for the disobedience of Adam and Eve and all their descendants, that would be us, and so offer the restoration of Eden's rest. I love that the word rest is the root of restoration, right? God was always restoring the world back to what it was originally meant to be, And he's still doing this through us. And we enter into the rest that Adam and Eve were supposed to have when we come 
to Jesus in faith. This is the story of the gospel. It's a story of perfect rest in God coming to him. This is what Jesus says when he says, it is finished, John 19.30. What's he talking about? What's finished? The work of restoring all that needed to be restored so that we could enter in to this rest. And now Jesus rests at the right hand of the Father. And the Father and the Son, they call us into this rest. Right? So this is God's rest. The second thing is this. It is confidence that we are in Christ. This is God's rest. And what that rest is is confidence that we are in Christ. Chapter 3, verse 14 says this. We have come to share in Christ if we hold firmly to the end the confidence we had at first. This rest is a confident trust in Jesus, both in this life and in eternity, y'all. We have confidence that, just as like Romans 8, 36-39 says, that even though we are considered sheep to be slaughtered, nothing will separate us from the love of Christ Jesus our Lord, right? Nothing can, nothing will. We have confidence in him, blessed assurance How good was it that we sang that this morning to remind ourselves this is true for us. Confident rest in Jesus, that he is our Savior, that he has done all that was necessary to be done on our behalf. Y'all, this is a spiritual rest and an eternal rest. But listen, it's also a mental rest and an emotional rest now as we live in this world. It is a rest free from a guilty conscience. It is a rest free from a guilty conscience because of our sin to know that we are forgiven now. He's going to continue this as he walks through Hebrews in chapter 10. He talks about that. Like we don't have guilt on our conscience because of Jesus. His blood washes us clean of this guilt. It's a rest from striving to please men or wear the mask of false identities or achieve or accomplish things based on the standards of this world. It is a rest from the worries of life, y'all, from money and war and inflation, and work, and family troubles, and marriage, and children, and future plans, and COVID. Look, all of these things are important things in the world. And it doesn't mean that these things are never going to come up, and that we're never going to experience any kind of fear, or doubt, or worry. But what it means is that for us, we can rest, and know that no experience, no doubt, no fear associated with any of these things can ever separate us from Christ. No matter what's going on in the world. That we rest in Jesus. And it means that we are given freedom in him as his brothers and sisters, citizens of his new kingdom. That whatever troubles may come in this world, they cannot define us or eternally destroy us. Jesus says, take heart, John 16, for I have overcome the world. And he says, come to me all you who are weary and burdened. And I will give you rest. Matthew 11. Third thing is this, it is a rest from our works. What is this rest? It is a rest from our works. Hebrews 4.10 says this, for anyone who enters, for anyone who enters God's rest also rests from his own, what? Labor, his work, just as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will fall by following their example of disobedience. It is a rest from our works. This is the rest that he calls us into, y'all. A rest of fellowship with him by faith in Jesus. A rest from our works, from striving to please God by what we can do or what we have earned or what we can give to him. This is what the best example I can think of this in scripture is where Paul the apostle is writing in Philippians chapter 3. 
In Philippians chapter 3, he just starts listing all the, all the reasons that he should have had confidence in his works. Right? He's like, I'm, I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. I was born in the tribe of Judah. I'm a Pharisee. I was zealous for the law. I persecuted the church. And then he says this, but every one of those things I consider now as garbage compared to knowing Jesus. Right? And he's like, man, I've learned to rest all my righteousness, everything I could accomplish. And if anybody in the world, and Paul says this, if anybody had reason to boast in his works, in his flesh, it was Paul the apostle. And he realized that all those things were nothing but garbage and death compared to the surpassing value, he says, of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. It's a rest from our works, y'all. So those three things, what is this rest? It is God's rest, it is confidence that we are in Christ, and it is rest from our works. Question number two, what keeps us from entering this rest? What keeps us from entering this rest? The first thing is this, a hard heart from sin's deceitfulness. 3.13 says this. I'm going to go kind of quick through these. 3.13 says, But encourage one another daily as long as it is called today so that none of you, listen, may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. And really, this is a progression that he's walking us through here. So number, number one thing is a hard heart from sin's deceitfulness. And then number two is unbelief. 3.19 says this. It's unbelief. In 3.19 he says, So we see that they were not able to enter. Why? Because of their unbelief. And the last thing is this. It's disobedience. What's going to keep us from entering this rest? Disobedience. Chapter 4, verse 6 says this. It still remains that some will enter that rest, and those who formerly had the gospel preached to them did not go in because of their disobedience. So it is a hard heart from sin's deceitfulness that leads to what? Unbelief. That leads to what? Disobedience. This is the progression of sin in our lives, church. This is how this works. Throughout Scripture, we see that sin flows from a heart that is hard and given over to deceit because why? We love to sin. That's the point. You know why you sin? Because you like it. It is a heart that enjoys disobedience to God. It is a heart that loves self and stuff and your own glory more than we love God in our natural selves. Sin is not a thing that just happens outside of you. Sin is your nature, apart from the work of the Spirit in your life, apart from Jesus and his saving work in us. Sin is who we are. And from that deceitfulness, from that hard-heartedness, we, we are unbelieving. We have dead and rebellious hearts that want to sin. We kind of get this picture when Jesus is talking to Nicodemus in John 3. Y'all know this story. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world, right? And a couple of verses after that, here's what Jesus says. Verse 19, in chapter 3 of John, he says, here's the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men refuse the light and love the darkness. Why? Because their deeds were evil. What's Jesus' point? The point is, Jesus was telling Nicodemus, I'm here. I'm the light of the world. I'm showing you everything you need to be saved, and yet why won't you come to me? Because you like to sin. 
Guys, we can make all sorts of excuses as to why we will not come to Jesus. And I have heard, I've done ministry long enough to have heard every excuse in the book. Well, some things just don't make sense. So there's like logical things that I can't really add up or creation. And I look at evolution and I'm like, okay, look, all of that's fine. Like you can have questions about all that stuff, but when it comes down to it, you know why you don't follow Jesus? Because sin is what your heart loves. This is why we can't enter his rest because it's a hard heart given over to deceit. And so it's like we close our eyes to that light. It's what Jesus said, right? That the light is here and we don't want to see it because we love the darkness because our sins are what we enjoy. It's like we literally are just walking. We're, we're closing our eyes. In Romans 1, it says we suppress the truth. Like we see the truth, we know it's there, and we push it down and out of our knowledge because we don't want to live the way that God is calling us to live. We love our sin. And you cannot enter the rest of God so long as you love your sin. And loving that sin leads to disobedience. This is Adam and Eve, right? It's the very first sin. What happened? They're deceived. Eve begins to question. She sees that the fruit is good to the eyes. It's good for food. It's a desirable for gaining wisdom, right? And then she takes and then she eats. The disobedience comes after the heart was hard and in love with the fruit instead of the Father. Question number three. How do we then enter God's rest? How do we enter God's rest? Two things. Number one, faith. Faith. Hebrews 4, 2 and 3 says this. For we also have had the gospel preached to us just as they did. But the message they heard was of no value to them because those who heard it did not combine it with faith. Now we who have believed enter that rest, just as God has said. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. And then obedience, verse 6 of chapter 4. Obedience, it says this. It still remains that some of you will enter that rest, and those who formerly had the gospel preached to them did not go in because of their disobedience, right? So if those who did not enter God's rest did not enter because of disobedience and unbelief, what is the flip side of that? Belief and obedience, faith in Jesus, and then doing what he says. Now, I felt actually this morning, I was just kind of going over this and thinking about this a little bit again, and I wanted to be real clear. I felt that I needed to be very clear on this point. Is the point here that, again, your works are what earn you the salvation, that your works are what get you into the rest of God, the, the, the eternal promised land, heaven, right? Is it our works? The answer is no, not exactly. It is our faith that gets us into this rest. It is our belief in God. It is by faith and not by works, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that nobody can boast. That's Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. But then here's what he says. For we are God's workmanship created to do good works. So how do we enter this rest? Guys, it's faith in Jesus. And then what will that faith in Jesus look like? Obedience to Jesus. Ask yourself this question. Is there somebody in this world that you would do anything for? Is there somebody in this world that you would do absolutely anything for? Why? If there is, why? Is it because they told you to do anything for them? Or is it because you love them? 
It's because you love them. Because you have a relationship with them. Because you know they love you. This is the way this works. Where I will gladly obey Jesus. I will gladly follow him anywhere to do anything that he has called me to do. Why? Not so that he will approve of me. Because he has approved of me. Because he has made me his own. Right? Because he has called me to himself, because he has saved me by his own blood, he has purchased me from sin and death, freed me from guilt and shame, and so I will go to do whatever I am called to do in his name for his glory. It is always faith and it is always obedience. A lot of people kind of look at the book of James and look at the book of Galatians and they say that those two are kind of against each other because in Galatians, Paul talks about it's faith by which we're saved. And in James, he talks about it's works, like we need works. But I think really both of them agree because they both make this point very clear. We are saved by faith and that faith will always work. That faith will always be obedient to Jesus. And so here's the point. You are saved by faith in Christ. And you should be confident and assured that you are in Christ and you have his rest if that faith works in obedience. And if it does not, look, 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 look at me. If it does not, if your faith has no obedient action, then you should have no assurance that you are in Christ. You shouldn't. You should have no confidence if there's no obedience, that your faith is even real. So how do we enter God's rest? Faith and obedience. You can say faithful obedience. You can say obedient faith. Question number four, when can we enter God's rest? When? Here's the answer. One answer to this one. Today. Everybody say amen, please. Today. He says, you can enter this rest. Uh, chapter 4, verses 6 through 9, it says this. It still remains that some will enter the rest, and those who formerly had the gospel preached to them did not go in because of their disobedience. Therefore, God again set a certain day, calling it today, when a long time later he spoke through David, as it was said before, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts for if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. Today is the word he said several times in there. And even back uh, before that in a couple of verses previous, he says, Today, if you hear my voice, do not harden your hearts. When do we enter the rest of God? We enter the rest of God today. I can think of no better example than this of this than the thief on the cross with Jesus. Do you know this story? That Jesus is hanging on the cross, thief on the right, thief on the left. And at one point in the story, they're both hurling insults at him. They're both calling him out. They're both making fun of him. But then this switch happens in one of the thieves. And he actually begins to talk to Jesus with faith. And he says this to, to Jesus. He says, remember me in your kingdom. This is Luke 23. Remember me in your kingdom. And then Jesus turns to him and says, today, you will be with me in paradise. Guys, could there be a more convincing evidence of the proof and power of Christ to save a sinner today than that man on that cross? A man who had nothing to offer Jesus that day. A man who had nothing to bring to Jesus. A man who was moments away from death, moments away from hell, was hanging on a cross for sins that he did in fact commit. 
And he hangs beside Jesus and just says, Jesus, would you remember me today? And Jesus says, today you will enter into my kingdom. He might as well have said, today, God, today, my friend, you will rest. Today. Today. And he says, as long as it is called today, you see that part at the beginning of the, the, the passage there where he's talking to the people of God, and he says, man, it, today if you hear my voice, like, don't be disobedient as long as it is called today. What day is called today? Today. And you're like, well, you know, yesterday. Well, what'd you call yesterday? Yesterday. Today. What are you going to call tomorrow? Tomorrow. Today. Whatever day it is, guys, you have never lived in a day that wasn't today. You realize that, right? What day is he talking about in which you can enter into the rest of God, in which you can receive Jesus by faith? What day is he talking about when you can begin to walk in obedience to Christ? Today is the day of salvation. And so question number five is this. How do we remain in this rest? How do we remain in this rest? Now I want to kind of uh, make a note here. Here's another way to ask this question. How do we remain faithful and obedient? Because I've already said you enter the rest by faith and obedience, right? Now, how do we remain faithful and obedient? The answer is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit does this work. But here's the question. How does he operate then? How does the Holy Spirit keep us in this rest? Two things. Number one, the encouragement of one another. The encouragement of each other. Chapter 3, verses 12 and 13. See to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God, but encourage one another daily. Here it is again. As long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We have come to share in Christ if we hold firmly to the end, the confidence we had at first. We, church, are the plan of God to keep the people of God in the rest of God. We are the plan. You are the plan. The people that are sitting on your row right now, they are the plan to keep you in this rest. You are the plan to keep them in this rest. We together, by the Holy Spirit who unifies us in a common faith, with a common hope, in a common Lord Jesus, we are the plan. And I know, I know as we talk about things like this, some of you are just like, man, I just like to come to church and sit in my chair and not really know anybody and not get in a group and not be on a servant team and not do any of that stuff. I kind of just want to be anonymous and I don't even know if I like these people. Well, here's the thing. You better start liking these people because you're going to spend eternity with them. We're forever. We're, we're together. Do y'all get this? And we are the plan of God to keep the people of God in the rest of God. And the second thing is this. The last thing is this. How do we remain diligence in examining ourselves? So here's what he says. He says, there remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. If anyone, for anyone who enters God's rest also rests from his own work, just as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest that no one will fall short by following their example of disobedience. He says, make every effort to enter that rest. And then he ends it with this. This is looking at the word of God. That's why I love that we read it together and we stand for it because the word of God is the judge here. Here's what he says. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates to the dividing of the soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. 
Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. He says, make every effort. The, 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 actually, the word that he uses is the word uh, spudadza. That's the Greek word um, that this was translated from. The word is diligent. The word is eager. Be eager to enter in to the rest of God. It's kind of like, you know, like a hard day's work, right? Work hard and be eager to come home and rest, right? Work hard and understand that it's not your works. Work hard to be found in faith in Jesus Christ. Work hard to see him and know him and love him. Do everything that you can do. What does Paul say in that passage in Philippians? He says, man, I want to know Christ. This is how he ends it. He goes, I want to know Christ and the power of his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, he says, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Is resurrection from the dead not the ultimate rest? That's the ultimate rest. Death is one kind of rest. Resurrection is way better rest. Because then we rest in Jesus. And Paul's just like, man, I'll do whatever I have to do to enter that rest. I will suffer with Jesus because suffering with Jesus in obedient faith is better than all the pleasures of this world. I will do whatever I need to do to enter the rest of Jesus. And so we must be eager to examine ourselves by Jesus' words in Scripture. This is, what he, this is why he ends it with this, the Word of God. It divides between soul and spirit. It judges the thoughts of the heart. Y'all, we have to be eager to lay ourselves before God's Word and let it judge our lives. Are we going to enter the rest of God? It has nothing to do with your opinion or my opinion on this. It has nothing to do with whether or not we think. I don't want you walking out these doors going, I think I'm in the rest of God. I want you walking out these doors going, I have examined myself by Jesus and his words, and I know I'm in his rest. And so we gotta examine our, ourselves. Let's be eager to examine ourselves when Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Let's be eager to examine ourselves when he says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. When he says, by this the world will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. When Jesus says, go make disciples of all nations, let us examine ourselves by that. Are we being obedient? When Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever remains in me and I in him will bear much fruit. When Jesus says, Come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, because I am humble and gentle in spirit, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Church, there is a rest for your soul. There is a rest for your soul. And it's only found in Jesus. So be eager. Be eager to come to him in faith. Be eager to repent of your sins and rest in his forgiveness today. Be eager to lay your empty works at his feet and rest in his finished work of salvation. Listen, if you have yet to confess Christ Jesus as your Lord today, be eager as that thief on the cross to have simple faith in Jesus and know that today you will rest with him secure forever. Eagerness is for today. So be eager today 
And if you are a Christian, be eager to remain in Christ with his people, in his word, by his Holy Spirit. Be eager to examine yourselves by the word of Christ so that you will remain in the faith, obedient to Christ in love and good deeds. Be eager. Listen, this altar is open this morning. It's open. And I know right now some of you hear these words and you think, you know what, I I don't know if I can be eager like that. I don't know if I need to get up out of my chair and go pray. I don't know if I really need to seek the Lord. I don't know if I need to repent of that thing going on in my life. I don't know if I need to reveal that there's some secrets in my soul. But I'm telling you this morning, today is today. Be eager today. If you want to come up and pray, and listen, I'm going to stand, I'm going to stand off to the side. I'm going to stand off to the side. And if you just want to pray this morning that you could receive Jesus as Lord and Savior, be eager. You don't have tomorrow that's not promised to you. You have today. Let's be eager, church. Let's be an eager church. The New Testament knows nothing of a lazy church. It knows only a church that is eager to seek after the person of Jesus Christ. Lay ourselves before him and be eager in faith. So let's be eager, church. I'll be over here if you would like me to pray for you or if you just want to come up and pray. If you want to lay yourself down before Jesus this morning, you can do it right at your seat if you want to do that. But man, let's be eager. Let's be eager to rest in him.